Okay, it's great to, to be together. It's great to be able to come now and to explore God's Word together. What you're going to find, um, as you hear me sharing what God's laid on my heart for today, is there's going to be a fair amount of repetition from things that have already come through in our time this morning. But uh, that's not a nuisance. That actually should be a real encouragement to us of the things that God has been saying to us and God would want to continue to say to us. If you've got your Bibles with you, if you can turn to Romans uh, and chapter 8, we're going to be reading from there uh, in just a moment. While you're finding your way there, I had a conversation with um, Pete on Friday evening over dinner uh, and he revealed something about uh, something that brings joy to his life. And I wanted to share it with you today. I've asked Pete's permission, by the way, so you're not thinking I'm just being mean. But um, Pete, one of the things that Pete really enjoys of an evening, uh, if he's feeling a little bit snacky, uh, he'll, I assume you go to your fridge or go to your cupboard and he finds a, a chocolate bar, but it's a specific chocolate bar. Are you all right, Steph? <laughs> oh, my Bible keeps going, doesn't it? And uh, it's a specific chocolate bar. Uh, it's a Freddo, if anyone knows. The Freddo's those little chocolate frocks. Other chocolate bars are available, I'm sure, but this is the one that Pete particularly enjoys. Uh, and he'll enjoy a Freddo with a cup of tea. Um, very civilised. But this little revelation that came from him, he said, I like, he enjoys the chocolate by itself and enjoys the tea, but he's like, it's better when you combine the two. So do you actually dip the chocolate? Don't dip it. No. All right. Start with the tea. Yeah. So you get the flavour of the tea. Yeah. And then you go. Flavour of the tea and then the chocolate. And this, you could tell when he was talking about it, this joy that came, that came across his face. So much so, I think he's thinking of going on Dragon's Den to launch a range of products, yeah. uh, kind of tea related chocolates. What did you say? There were like coffee liqueurs and stuff around. Yeah. Maybe there's a market for something else. Um, but yeah, so there's a little insight into uh, Pete's life there. Um, it brought me joy to hear that. Um, and also gives you ideas for, for gifts for Pete. If you're stuck wondering what to buy him, buy him some tea, buy him some Freddos. Uh, there is a reason why I say this though, in the context of what we're looking at this morning, is this. In Romans 8, we're going to be looking in Romans 8. And there's kind of a lot of conversation, a lot of discussion going around actually what the focus or theme of Romans 8 is. Some would say it's one thing, and others would say it's something else. And I'll tell you in a minute, once we've read it, what those things are. But what we'll find is that just as Pete, the, the real joy comes when he combines those two things. The closest truth is when we actually put together these two ideas of what these themes of Romans 8 are. So let's read together from Romans 8 verse 1. I'm going to read through to verse 17. Um, we're going to be focusing specifically on verses 12 to 17. But I just wanted to set it in context. I think it's important that we do that. So Romans 8 verse 1. This is Paul writing to the church, uh, the believers in Rome. And what about this as a start to this passage of his letter, this portion of his letter? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin... He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds of the th on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to, God's, submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God 
dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of God does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then... Brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba. Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So going back to to where I started, this idea that scholars and, and many others have, there are kind of two main camps, if you like, that people would stand on when they're saying, actually, this is the main focus or theme of Paul's writing and his purpose of writing in Romans 8. Actually, we stopped at 17, but all the way through, there seems to be these two common threads that run through. And the first one is this. Some people would say, actually, the theme of Romans 8 is about, it's all about assurance. When we're talking about assurance, it's about certainty or giving confidence, particularly in in the person and work of Jesus. So there'd be some that would say it's all about assurance. There are others that would say, but it's all about the Spirit. I think the Spirit is mentioned 17 times in in, uh, Romans chapter 8. So it's very clear that that is very much a focus of what Paul is in. But like we said at the start, actually, we find the closest truth when we put them together. It's both. It's about the Spirit, but it is also about assurance. Now, as Pete's already mentioned, and we mentioned last week, actually, we feel that God is leading us as a church into a season, not just a, not just a series of teaching, but actually into a season of pursuing what it is, of exploring and seeking and devoting ourselves to being a people who live by the Spirit, to be those who dwell in the Spirit. And so actually, what, but what we wanted to do is just to lay this foundation, lay a foundation at the start, because if we're not careful, when we're thinking about living by the Spirit, straight away we think about, okay, then what do we need to do? What is the practical outworking of what it means to be a people who are living by the Spirit? Our minds might go to spiritual gifts or witnessing or those sorts of things, but actually we want to lay a foundation at the start, and the foundation is this, is for us to, to really drill this right down into our hearts, is this, is that the Spirit's primary role in your life is to give you assurance. It's not solely about what He causes us to do or leads us to do, it's about giving you assurance. An assurance that comes and can only come from intimacy with the Spirit. And so we want to spend some time this morning really allowing ourselves to think upon that and to explore that together because we, as not just as an eldership team, but it's very clear from the writing in the scriptures that we need to have that foundation because otherwise, again, we can be so focused on what is it that we do, then that becomes the overriding thing. 
And now one of the reasons why we called this series Dwell is because actually we feel this is about us recognising that the Spirit dwells in us and actually we are to be a people who live in the presence of God and prioritise living in the presence of God and experience intimacy with God by and through the Spirit. And we'll expand on that a little bit more as I go through. But do you see where I'm coming from? Has everyone caught my heart in this and why we feel this is so important? This is exciting. I am really, really excited about this season that God is calling us into. I feel deeply stirred that this is a, a significant moment for us and a significant season for us as a church to really give ourselves to. And actually, Pete mentioned that we were away for the last couple of days with leaders across relational mission and so much of what was coming through was about being a people who are dependent on the presence of God, who dwell in the presence of God, who are led by the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit. So this is something actually that God is speaking on a much wider scale to his church at this time. But again, for us, I think we came away feeling super encouraged because actually this is what God has been speaking to us about here in Fabian. So we want to give ourselves to this. We want to take hold of this uh, and, and really press into, in particular, this season where we're really seeking what God has for us. Now, I said my focus would be on chapters 12 to 17. uh, Sorry, from verses 12 to 17, and it will be, but I wanted to read from the start of the chapter, really because we need to set it within the context. In my Bible, it's got little headings before like different sections, and chapter 8 starts with this, it says, life in the spirit. And so actually what Paul is trying to convey to the church is that actually there is life available to us by the Spirit of God as he leads us and empowers us. So there is actually something about, okay, the way that we are meant to live now so we need to recognise it, that actually it sits within that context of, yes, there is, uh, there's a particular lifestyle that we have been called to. And in a couple of weeks' time, we've got Adam Voke from, uh, from um, Cornerstone City Church in Medway. But Adam, who is also the apostolic delegate, the apostolic oversight for our relational, com- re- relational mission community that we are a part of here in Faversham. So I'm not, I don't really want to spend too much time thinking about what it looks like to be led by the Spirit, because that's going to be Adam's focus. But like I say, we want to focus on uh, what Paul says in verses 12 to 17, but we need to recognise the context in which it sits. But not only that, I also wanted to start from verse 1. Why? Because it starts with Jesus. It starts with this declaration that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the only reason that we are talking about what it means to be a people who live by the Spirit, that can only be true because of what Jesus has done and what only Jesus could do. And that's where Paul starts, isn't it? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Jesus has done what we could not do in dealing with our sin He also dealt with our guilt and dealt with our shame in order that we could be reconciled, brought back into relationship with the Father in a way that we would never have been able to do by ourselves, by any effort, by any level of obedience, by any performance of any level. Only Jesus was able to do that. And there is life to be found in Jesus. And then last week was Pentecost Sunday and we were looking at uh, that time when the Holy Spirit, Jesus returns to be with the Father and then the Holy Spirit comes and is poured out on God's people. And in that moment, what we need to realise is that in Jesus going, it's not that Jesus is abdicating anything. He's not abdicating his responsibility. He's not abdicating his position. He's not abdicating anything. But in fact, he's going in order that the Holy Spirit would come. 
In Matthew 28, when Jesus gives this commission to his followers and says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them everything uh, that I have, have taught to you. But he doesn't stop there. He says, I am with you always to the end of the age. But you think, how does that work if he's saying, I'm going to be with you always to the end of the age, and just a few days later, he's, he's returned to be with the Father. And that's why Pentecost is so important. That is why the sending of the promised Holy Spirit is so important, because in the Holy Spirit coming, the, and, and the significance of Pentecost is that what we see is the fullness of God's presence among God's people. In those opening verses in Romans chapter 8, I don't know if you noticed, it says how the Spirit of God dwells in you. I think there's three times maybe. It speaks about the Spirit of God dwelling in you. You see, what happened at Pentecost and in the Holy Spirit coming, God himself by his Spirit takes up residence in followers of Christ, in his people. God has chosen to live within us. Not in a temple somewhere, not in a tabernacle somewhere, but actually to dwell by his very presence in us. So God is dwelling in you. And so the Holy Spirit coming is a celebration actually of Jesus' ongoing presence among us. Which is why Jesus is able to say, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. What a glorious truth, what a glorious reality for us to live in. And so in Romans 8, what Paul is laying out for us and what Paul is uh, conveying to the believers there is that in Christ, there's a call to a new way of living. But recognize that. It's not we're called to a new way of living separate from Christ. It starts with him and what he has done for us. And only because of what he's done for us, therefore, we can live in a different way to the way that we lived before. There is a new life, if you like, that is now available for us to walk into and to dig into, and to live in the goodness of. But this new life is available and only possible because God's Spirit lives in us. Without the Spirit of God living with us, this call to the life that, that we're being called to would not be possible. But Paul makes it very clear to us. It's, it's possible. Why? Because God himself is living in you by his Spirit. And he goes on to say, doesn't he? He says that if we are led by the Spirit, then actually something is going to happen within us. And what happens is that actually we grow more and more. What we, we, you might hear this terminology, we grow in Christ-likeness. Essentially what that means is we become more and more like Jesus. We look more and more like him. His priorities become our priorities. His lifestyle becomes our lifestyle. His rhythm of life becomes our rhythm of life, if you like, because we become more and more like him. Like Pete mentioned, the things that we saw Jesus do, we now get to do that. But that's only possible if we're led by the Spirit. And if you like, that is the direction that the Spirit of God leads us into, not away from, from Jesus, but actually becoming more and more like him. Change happens in our life. It should be evident, not just to us, but it should be evident to others around us. And it's, sometimes things can be very sudden, but oftentimes it's not. I'm becoming more and more aware that actually a lot of the Christian life is about, sometimes it, it can feel fairly slow, but it's about progress going on in the right direction as growth comes. And God brings growth in our lives through the Spirit. 
which is why in verse 12, Paul says this. He says that you can no longer to continue the dictates of the flesh. Why? Because you are not slaves to those things anymore because the Spirit of God lives in you and he will lead you into the things of Christ. He will lead you in the ways of obedience. He will lead you into living the life that God has called you to. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. And there's this amazing connection that Paul makes here between the Spirit and sonship. And this is where we start to see this whole idea of assurance coming in. And we need to recognize this. There's this connection between the Spirit of God and sonship. What Paul isn't saying, he's not saying that if we are led by the Spirit, we then become sons and daughters. He's saying because we are sons and daughters, therefore we are led by the Spirit. And that's a really important distinction that we need to make sure, not just that we recognize, but we live in the good of. It's because of who we are, because of who Jesus has made us to be, that we can be led by the Spirit. Because we are sons and daughters, we are led by Him. And the work of the Spirit in our lives, this growth that we see, this, this growth ever more, more and more increasingly become more and more like Christ... Evidences of the fruit of the Spirit in our life as we grow in, in kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control and all of, those, if, all of those fruits of the Spirit that He produces within us. The work of the Spirit, all of those things actually is evidence, is the evidence that we belong to God rather than it being the cause or the reason of us belonging to God. Can you see where I'm coming from? It's the evidence of what God has done in us. And of what the Spirit produces within us. And Paul continues to build this message of assurance. He says, you've received a spirit not of slavery, but a spirit of sonship. And there's one word in there that is so important for us to, for us to grasp hold of. is this, you have received. It's a gift. It's something that has been given to you. It's not something that you've earned. It's not something that you've deserved. It's not got to a point where God says, actually, you've, you've done enough now where I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you can have my spirit now. Or the spirit says, yeah, you've, you've kind of ticked all the boxes that I need you to. Actually, we have received a spirit, the spirit. Rich Velodas, he's a, a pastor in New York, and he says that the Holy Spirit is not a reward for good behavior, He's not a reward for unwavering faith. The Holy Spirit is a gift for those who turn to Jesus and who wait on him. This is good news, beloved. This is good news. That the Holy Spirit is not a reward for good behavior or unwavering faith. Because if that were true, the Holy Spirit would not live in me. And don't be offended by this, but the Holy Spirit would not be in you. Because our faith does waver. And our behaviour is not always good. Or to, at least particularly in the eyes of God. The Holy God. But actually the Holy Spirit is a gift to those who turn to Jesus and who wait on him. And this spirit is not a spirit of slavery. Do you know, a spirit of slavery would leave you feeling in a place like you have to earn acceptance. Like you have to become something in order to receive approval. That's what slavery does to us. And a spirit of slavery is accompanied by fear. Questions could come into our mind like, have I done enough? Constantly worrying, fretting. Have I done enough today? 
to be acceptable or pleasing? Will I be approved? We can end up living in fear of how God feels about us without knowing for absolute certainty about how he feels about you, which is actually what the Spirit of God does in us. He, lets us, he, he, he reminds us uh, and allows us to live in that place of, of assurance of how God feels about us and how God sees us. For fear uh, can also um, leave us in, in fear of circumstances, those things in which we're going through. We can feel fearful about how our lives are looking and about what's going on in our lives. 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul again, when he's writing this time to Timothy, he says, actually, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So he's just kind of expanding on, on what he's written to the Romans here. We don't have a spirit of fear. This is not a spirit of fear. This is not a spirit of slavery. The spirit that lives in you as a, as a, as a follower of Jesus is a, a spirit of power and love and self-control. And those things come from receiving a spirit not of slavery, but uh, a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters. They're, they're, the, they're absolute opposites, aren't they, to what fear is. That's what it means to be sons and daughters of God, to, to be those who, who live with the spirit of power and love and self-control, and so much more, as we'll come to see. And so actually when the Spirit of God comes to live in us, we don't receive fear, we actually receive Father. We're not falling back, which is what slavery does. It causes us to fall back, but actually uh, being adopted as sons and daughters, rather than falling back, it causes us to draw near. And actually to be drawn near by Him. In Romans 15 verse 7, just a few verses on from where, we're, where, where we are this morning... Paul says that we are to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. I've shared this before. I'm going to share it many more times because I heard it and it just really, I found it so helpful. What those verses are saying is that to God, you are not just tolerated. You are welcome. You are not just tolerated. It's not just that we're now back at neutral ground with him. Jesus has dealt with our sins, so we're kind of back to scratch. We're not just tolerated. He doesn't just put up with us. We are welcomed in to his family. We're no longer cut off from God. And if we're no longer cut off from God, then we do not need to live like we still are. And sometimes we find ourselves in a place where actually we still live as if we are far from God. Or we still live in a place... Of, um, I've heard it said like this, of like the, an, an orphan spirit where actually we live not really knowing God as father, not knowing what it is to be in God's family. Simon Holly is a, a, a pastor in Bedford. I think he heads up one of his, oversees one of the um, New Frontiers spheres as well. In his book, Sustainable Power, he says, I don't know about you, but I find that I tend to default to rules rather than relationships where by nature I would like rules, maps, lists and principles by which to work, actually what I find is that I am drawn into an adventure that is all about relationship with the Father, with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit. How easy it is for me, even today, to look for these principles and miss the relationship that he is, he is calling me into. 
Our temptation might be, when you saw this series coming up, what does it mean to be a people who live by the Spirit? We might think, maybe we're going to get some ideas of lists and thoughts of, uh, and programs of what it looks like to be a people who live by the Spirit. You're not going to get that from us. Because that is not what the Bible gives us. What the Bible gives us, uh, and what Je- more than that, what Jesus gives us through the Gospel is an invitation into a relationship. Not rules, not programs, not maps that outline things, but a, a relationship that we have been called into. So what we're talking about, when we're talking about living by the Spirit, it is all about relationship. Which is why Paul writes that it is by the Spirit and the Spirit within us who enables us from the very core of our being to cry out, Abba, Father. That word Abba, that is the most intimate cry of a child to a father. And what Paul is saying here is that we can only do that, that is only possible because of the Spirit. Without the Spirit living within us, we cannot cry out to God as our Father. We cannot know Him as our Father. It is only because this Spirit of Sonship, the Spirit of Adoption has been poured into us that we have received that from the core of our being we can cry, Abba, Father. It is the Holy Spirit who enables us and who leads us to authentic dependence on God. Outside of the Spirit, we would not be able to do that. So be assured, brothers and sisters, if you are able to cry out, Abba, Father, and to know that you are wholly dependent on Him, be assured that is not your doing, that is the Spirit working within you. That is where assurance comes. That we can know God as our Father because we are children of God and if we are children of God then the Spirit lives within us and if the Spirit lives within us then we see the evidence of His work in our lives which give us that assurance that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit. He assures us, he confirms within us that we are children of God. And if we are not just children of God, but heirs of God. And if we're heirs of God, then we're also co-heirs with Jesus. And so there is, when we're talking about assurance, and what it means to have assurance in the Spirit, it means that we have assurance in our identity. In our assurance of who God has made us to be. Through Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, Gordon was with us. And he gave an illustration from the Lion King, if you remember. I, I, I wasn't in for that, but I heard the recording. I, I think Ian, you helped him with some of the names. Uh, but he gave this illustration from the Lion King. And um, as I was reading through Simon Holly's book, there's another illustration from the Lion King that came through. And so I'm going to use it. I don't usually use other people's illustrations, but I thought, we're going to keep this thing going. Let's see how long we can keep this Lion King thing going. We might need to pick another film as a church, maybe at some point. But... There's a part in the film, in the film The Lion King, where Simba, even when he's grown up, he has very little understanding of his destiny as future king. He's living in the wilderness, he's living in exile. His uncle is on the throne, if you like, as king. And he has very little understanding of what his destiny is. He thinks the rest of his life is going to be spent with a warthog and a meerkat. If you've not watched the film, this is going to sound very strange, but that's kind of what happens in in the film. But then this monkey, Rafiki, who has known him, or known of him, even before he was born, 
And Rafiki, he provokes him and he winds him up and he's teasing him. And then he asks this question. He says, or, or, or he makes a statement. He says, you don't even know who you are. And Simba's reply is, oh, and I suppose you know who I am. And Rafiki replies, I sure do. You're Mufasa's boy. I know who you are because I know who your dad is. And you are his son. You are the son of the king. And it's as Simba begins to, um, to, to begin to believe in his identity as the son of a king, he finds the courage that drives out fear and starts to change the world around him. But it came from knowing who he is. It came from knowing that he is the son of the king. And when fear resided in him before, courage comes and everything changes. And Simon Holly, in his book, he says this, that if the enemy can cause us to doubt our identity in Christ, we will not live in the fullness of all that Christ has purchased for us. And this is why Paul is writing Romans 8. Because he wants us to know, as followers of Jesus, what, what our identity is and where our identity lies. We've called this series... Living by the Spirit. And as I've thought about it, and as I've pondered, uh, as I've been preparing for this morning, I've come to realise that living by the Spirit is not just about how, how we live. Primarily it is about where we live. And what I mean by that is actually, are we living in God's presence? Are we dwelling in God's presence? Are we relying on his presence with us by the Spirit? Are we recognizing that the Spirit of God lives within us and allowing him to lead us and allowing him to empower us and allowing him to encourage us and allowing him to grow us? There are things that we are called to do. Our lives should look different. But living by the Spirit is not just about how we live, it's primarily about where we live. And so we need to ask that questions of ourselves. Are we living in the presence of God or not? If we are not living in the presence of God, then we will not, to be, able, we will not be able to live by the Spirit. Or it will be much harder to live by the Spirit. We're co-heirs with Jesus. And if we're co-heirs with Jesus, then I think it means that we look to him to see what it looks like to live by the Spirit. I think we look to Him to know what it looks like to be in the presence of the Father. Because Jesus, when we look at Jesus' life and we look at Jesus' ministry, what was His first priority? He spent a lot of time with a lot of people. He spent time with His closest friends. He spent time with those who were following Him. He spent time with people as He went from village to village and town to town and city to city. But that was not his priority. His priority was to spend time with his father. He withdrew to be with his father regularly. And actually he encouraged his followers to do the same. He said himself, I only do what I see the father doing. He could only see what the father was doing because he was spending time with the father and he was enjoying intimacy with the father and he was enjoying time in the presence of the father. 
And everything that he did flowed out of those times of intimacy and presence with his father. I only do what I see the father doing. I only, I'm only doing the things that I see the father leading me into. So his first priority was to be in his presence. We actually see there are occasions where great crowds have come specifically just to meet with Jesus. They want to spend time with him. And you think, surely that was, that was Jesus' mission, if you like. That's what he was giving himself to. He was proclaiming forgiveness of sins, proclaiming the kingdom of God, healing people, performing miracles. And so as people come together to him, you think this is exactly what Jesus is, is doing. That's what he's on earth to, to be doing. And yet there are times where the crowds gather and Jesus leaves them. And he withdraws from them. Why? Because he needs to go and be with the Father. So even then, if you like, the mission did not come first. Time with his Father came first. Because everything else comes out of that. And if it's true for Jesus, how much more does that need to be true for us? How much more does that need to be true for us? At this time, we had with relational mission leaders this weekend, Mike Betts, really helpfully, was sharing a lot of stuff. I turned to Pete, and I was like, this is, I'm just going to use this for, for tomorrow, because it just kind of is really reinforcing what I'd already been feeling. Mike Betts was saying, actually, particularly at the world in which we look at now, there's such uncertainty, a huge amount of uncertainty in the world, where strategic planning, there's a place for, strate for strategic planning, thinking, well, we'll do this, then we'll do this, and then we'll do this, but things are so quickly changing in the world at the minute that often our plans just have to change just because of things that are going on because circumstances change because the landscape keeps changing very quickly and what he felt God calling him to is that we need to be a people who learn to wait on the Lord and await his instructions of what he's calling us into individually and corporately as his body as well To learn, to give God time, but also our attention. Two different things. We set aside time, we give God our time to be with him. But we also need to give him our attention, and that's something we can do 24-7. By the Spirit, just be giving God our attention. Actually, where are you leading me to? What opportunities are you giving me now? I'm so encouraged by what Maggie shared. Where she took those extra cards. She felt something. A stirring in her spirit perhaps actually I need to pack some more of these cards and what happens, a situation arises where actually she's in a position to bless people with that why? because she was paying attention to what God was saying to her and God used her and as she said in her weakness and feeling actually I don't really know what's going on this week and yet within that as she paid attention to the Holy Spirit's prompting in her God used her to be a blessing to others we need to be those who give God our time, but we also need to give him our attention. Here's a, here's a challenging question. Are our diary and our plans in charge, or is God? Are we willing to lay some things down? To not turn up to some things? If actually in the moment we feel God say, I want you to stay here, I'm not done with you yet. That's a challenge. And actually in the West, in the world, in, in, the, in the culture in which we live, oftentimes our diaries and our plans are very much in charge. 
to the point where they can kind of become idols in our lives. But the question here is actually, are they in charge or is God in charge? Are we those who are so dependent on God and so used to living in his presence and seeking him first and foremost? Jesus gave the Father his time and his attention. And as children of God and co-heirs with Jesus, we have the freedom to do the same. We are free to do the same. We have an opportunity to do the same. But there's a decision that we have to make. There's a decision that we have to make there. Are we going to be people who prioritise being in his presence? Are we going to be a people who seek to give him our attention as best we can? Each and every day. John 15. Um... Jesus understood what it meant to stay and to dwell. John 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is saying the same thing. Abide in me. Remain in me. Stay in me. Live in that place. Remain in in his presence. Why? Because that is where fruitfulness comes from. That is where abundance comes from. And it's really similar language, isn't it? Paul's saying about the spirit dwelling in us. And we're thinking about what it means to be a people who dwell in God's presence. And then Jesus is saying, abide in me. Those words, dwell and abide, they're really similar, aren't they? It's that sense of where where are you remaining? Where are you living? Where are you stationing yourself? Janet, can we have the first picture up, please? This is a house in China, I believe. And houses like this have a particular name. They're called nail houses. And what happens is that often when there are developments that are going on, they'll come in and they will pay people to to move and to leave. But there are some residents who do not want to leave their home. No matter what is being offered to them, no matter what financial compensation is given to them, they don't want to move. And so they remain where they are. They stay where they are. And as you can see in this, even when everything around them has been stripped away, all the other houses have been ripped away, they're staying where they are. And so that, you can see there, that's that house. All of the houses around it have gone. You can see the walls where the other houses were. We've got another, and the second picture, Janet. And this is a, another example. Here, can you see, we've got these houses, the original houses that are there, and then this big development that's gone, built all around them. Because the people who lived there refused to move. That is where they're choosing to dwell. That is where they are choosing to abide and to stay, regardless of what is going on around them. And oftentimes, with what, um, what happens sometimes is that, in, particularly from, from my understanding in the Chinese context, oftentimes the government, it's the government that want them to move out. And it resorts to the point where they will cut off the electric and they will cut off the water and they will cut off everything else to force them to move. And yet these people stay. 
And they're called nail houses because they're like nails sticking out of the floor that cannot be hammered down. They're just, they're there just in random, in random places. You saw that first one, there's like whole roads being built, built around them. And it's just this remarkable picture of resilience and of you're not gonna make me move because this is where, where I live. This is where I stay. And actually that word that Jesus uses to abide, it's more than just, it, it, there's, a, there's a real sense of endurance to it. That in the midst of whatever circumstances are going on, no matter, like these houses, no matter what else is being offered to me, I'm going to live in the presence of God first and foremost. That is going to be my priority. I'm going to live by the Spirit of God. That is my priority. When everything else from, on either side of me seems to be stripped away and circumstances are going against me and where, uh, where opposition is coming against me, I'm going to stay here in the presence of God. I'm going to stay here in the vine where Jesus has called me to be. You can offer me nothing that is worth more than living in the presence of God. That is what it means to abide. Do what you want. Offer what you want. Show me something else that you think will give me more satisfaction and more joy and more pleasure. And I will choose to stay where I am because this is where I live. Because the Spirit of God lives in me. See, in verse 17 of Romans 8, it says that we are co-heirs with Christ. It would be very easy for us to skip over the next, next part of it because it says that provided we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified in him. And we might skip over that bit. Why? But it doesn't sound very nice. It doesn't sound pleasing. Who wants to suffer? Who would choose, if you like, to suffer? But actually, we do suffer in life. And we will suffer in life. And we will suffer because we follow Jesus. And we will suffer because we choose to dwell in the presence of God. But just like those people who have stayed in their homes, whatever else is going on, whatever opposition they face, whatever suffering they face, they say, no, this is where I'm going to stay. And this is where I'm going to be. Pete read from 2 Corinthians. I'm coming into land in just a sec. But I think this is really important that we understand this. Because we don't want to overlook that verse, that portion of that verse that says that we will suffer. Actually, the reason why is because we need to be prepared to suffer. And one of the things that came through from the last couple of days of, of teaching that we've had is that oftentimes we're not very well prepared. So when suffering comes, we really struggle because we're not prepared for how we are to handle that. Where am I? Pete, where were you? 2 Corinthians 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may able to be comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. 
For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Take hold of these words. May I encourage you this week, sit in those verses. Contemplate them, meditate upon them. For we will share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, but through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. And we share abundantly in comfort too. Why? Because of who our Father is. Because the Father, who we know and enjoy a relationship with, the Father who the Spirit affirms within us that we are children of God, that Father is the Father of mercies. And He is the God of all comfort. And He is the same Father to whom we By the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. So be assured that we are free. It's a song, isn't there? We are free to live as sons and daughters in the Father's house. Because for all who are sons and daughters of God, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Sonship lives in them I'm going to pray I wasn't sure how that was going to go timing wise today but in a way there there could have been time for response here but actually this is something that we need to go and we need to go and do not just here on a Sunday but actually we need to go and do this now we need to we need to go and daily be those who prioritise the presence of God and enjoy intimacy with him to await his instruction but also to come to him in again just so encouraged by what Pete was saying in the midst of difficulty and really struggling what did he need to do? he just needed to wait and be with God and in that place he found mercy and he found comfort father of mercies and the God of all comfort so this is something we're going to need to go and we're going to need to do And actually, from the outset of this series, when we're thinking about what it looks like to be those who live by the Spirit, this has to be our starting point. Because if we're not prioritising the presence, if we're not abiding, if we're not dwelling, then actually, how are we going to do everything else that we're looking at over these coming weeks? Not just that we're looking at, but all these things that we're expecting God to do in and amongst us as well. I want this to be an encouraging word. Because that's Paul's purpose in writing it, is to encourage us. This is a word that gives confidence. This is a word that gives certainty. Because of what God has done for us and because of his good gift that he has poured out on us. Yeah, Father, we thank you for Jesus We thank you that through Jesus and his sacrifice, through his obedience, that we have been welcomed into your family. And as those who are sons and daughters of the living God, we have received the spirit of sonship, the spirit of adoption, the spirit who confirms and affirms within us and reassures us that we are in fact children of God 
We're not just tolerated. We are loved. And we're welcome. We say, Holy Spirit, would you come and work among each one of us? Holy Spirit, would you be at work in us, making us more and more like Jesus? Would you be assuring us that we are in fact children of God, recognising that even as we cry out to God as Father, that is only possible because you live within us. Lord, I pray for such times of intimacy for each one of us and for those who are not here with us this weekend, but actually going forward into the days and weeks and months ahead. Lord, I pray for such times of precious intimacy and enjoyment and rest in you. And Lord, that as we do so, that you would lead us and that you would instruct us for our good, but for your glory and for the good of those who don't yet know you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you have anything else you wanted to? Uh,